You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So I'm just going to tell you that um, we've been in the process. Uh, we just sold our house, so we're um, looking to, we've just bought another one. We're going to move three miles up the road, downsize, all that kind of stuff. So we've been packing a lot, and I haven't really been paying attention to the news. So the other day when I actually jumped on my iPad for the first time in a long time, I was like, there's all this news that's coming at me that I'm like, wow, did that really happen? I, I didn't know that happened. And so I had all of this, this stuff coming at me. The problem was, I, some of it I was like, did that really happen? You know, you, you wonder, does that, did that, is that what they really said? Did they really do that? And um, it's just really hard for me. Today, we have this new term um, called fake news. Um, we've always had fake news, but we've just never had the term to call it fake news. And so thus, now we have uh, actually news stations. I noticed this the other morning. Um, it was um, ABC News. Uh, they have a new segment they call Real News <laughs> because now there's fake news. But anyway, now they, they're saying, no, this is real news. So it's like, what is fake news? What is real news? It's really hard to do that. How many of you know what Snopes is? You ever gone to Snopes.com? It's kind of Snoops. Is it called Snoops? No, it's Snopes. S-N-O-P-E-S, Snopes. Snopes.com. Um, and it's one of those places where you can, like, if you have a question, did that really happen? Did they really say that? Did that re- is that really history, you can find all of that out. But there's so many more today. I mean, Snopes used to be the, the main one. Today, now there's things called Fact Check and PolitiCheck and PolitiFact and the Washington Post has a, fast che- a fact checker. Um, there's so many of those. So I was kind of double checking some of those the other day and I, I found out some stuff um, that I didn't know. So let me just tell you a couple things. Uh, all eight Supreme Court justices, according to Snopes, they did not send a letter saying that they were against the newest person who, when he was coming on, because that was one of the things that I heard. That people were, all these other Supreme Court justices were against the new justice. That never happened. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, Joanna Gaines is not leaving HGTV <laughs> Fixer Upper. She's staying at that show. Uh, for those of you who keep note of what's happening out west, I just want you to know, kangaroos are not going to be released into the Wyoming free range to settle there. That's not happening. Um, This one surprised me. Did you know that Mr. Rogers never was a Vietnam sniper? I I heard that widely reported for a lot of long time that he was, you know, when he was in the military, he was a Vietnam sniper. Not true. Um, Some things really did happen on a United Airlines flight recently, but just so you know, a United Airlines uh, flight attendant did not slap a baby this week. That did not happen. Uh, in flight. Um, for those of you who were hoping that Dunkin' Donuts, that if you went there on the day that was their anniversary, you were going to get free donuts, that was not true either. That was false. Um, you just had to pay for them anyway. And for those of you who are really, really, really concerned, I double-checked it. I found it on two sites. McDonald's is not using human meat in their burgers. It's not happening. You have to check this stuff, people. Inquiring minds want to know. But it is uh, true that sometimes people uh, say, or what there is reported that they say, uh, can create question, it can create concern, it creates controversy. Um, and I know that firsthand. Um, several years ago when I was in college, so Susan and I attended Oral Roberts University when we were there. It was widely reported that Oral Roberts said one day that if 
he did not raise $25 million, God was going to take him to heaven, and, he would, and it would not get done. And Susan and I happened to be sitting in chapel that day when he almost said that. He, he didn't say that. What he said was, he says, if I don't raise this money when I go to heaven, it will be undone. And so it was widely misreported. It created all this controversy in Christian circles. It caught all of this stuff on the news. And, uh, but because it was reported wrong. You know, did he really say that? No, that's not exactly what he said. Um, and so, and oddly enough, so here we are like 30-something years later, and that's exactly what happened. So he, he was not successful in raising the money. He has passed on. And the city of faith that he was trying to create, the hospital, the Christian hospital, it did not get completed. And since then has been sold off and is now office condos across the street from the university. But has nothing to do with the university whatsoever. So he was right. It was true. What he said, not what other people said that he said. So to this morning, we're going to begin a series that actually our pastoral staff is really excited about. And the series is, did Jesus really say that? Because there's a lot of stuff that's in Scripture that when you read it, it's like, whoa, did he just say that? Did I just read that? And so we've been talking about this, and I'm really excited. Our pastors are really excited because as we've been studying and talking and getting together and talking through the sermons in this series, uh, we have had to wrestle through uh, the known controversies and what he was being said and what was being intended and to say it rightly and to say it clearly and to say it concisely. Um, we've really been working through. Some of them have caused us um, a lot more study and a lot more time and preparation than some of the others. But we're really looking forward to this because there are some things that Jesus said that created concerns. They created controversy. They created misunderstanding, um, and they still, in many ways, have created that within the church today. We don't always understand everything um, that he said when you just simply take it at face value. Um, there are some things that we know um, from history, and this is kind of moving in today's to, towards today's topic specifically, but we know that there are certain things that happened in history. We know them from history um, we don't have to go to Snopes to find it out. We know. We know that first century Jewish religious leaders actually persecuted and murdered some Christians. Yes? We know that, right? We know. We know that Nero blamed uh, the Christians for the burning of Rome and that it began this widespread persecution, uh, murder, and extermination within the Roman Empire. We know that. That's history. We know that's first century history. Move all the way forwards. Just skip over lots of stuff that happened throughout history. Jumping into our lifetime, into the 20th century, we know that in uh, 1949, a, a recent example would be China became a communist nation. And when they did, they expelled all uh, missionaries. All Christian missionaries were required to leave the country. They could not. We, it is known, it is widely known that Christians, pastors within the nation of China for the last 60, 70 years have been jailed for extensive times. They, the church there meets secretly. We know that. Why? Because they've, paid, they've faced persecution. Um, but I will tell you, as Westerners here on, 
in America and in what we would call the West, we don't hear a lot about the ongoing persecution of the church. We don't hear a lot about ongoing persecution of Christians and what it takes uh, and what it requires and what it demands to be a Christian in other places of the world today. Our media doesn't report it widely. Um, they're reporting things like the type of meat that's used in Burger King. You know, that's we're not getting that. We're not hearing that. Um, I would tell you that within Foursquare, we actually have several missionaries that are serving in nations where they cannot di- uh, divulge what they're doing or who they are. Um, if you go to the Foursquare Foreign Missions website, you'll see all these pictures of all these missionaries that are in other places. And, uh, and then you'll see some that they have no picture. Well, it's not because they don't have cameras in that country. It's because they don't want you to know what they look like. Because people look at that and they to find them because these people are in Muslim countries. Uh, they don't give their last names. Sometimes they even give pseudo names. Why? Because they're in places where um, the commitment level would cost their lives. Um, I have friends that I, w- I grew up with in high school. He was in my graduating class, and um, the, the woman that he married, the girl that he married, was in my sister, my younger sister's graduating class. They got married, have become missionaries, and they are in Eastern Europe, and they are in a heavily uh, Muslim area, and they have actually raised, uh, gave birth to and raised four daughters there. But he is officially there as a businessman, and she is officially there as an English teacher, because if they knew why they were really there, uh, at best, they would be expelled. At worst, they would be harmed, and he has been harmed once. He literally was attacked one time and had his jaw broken in four places, and they had to fly him out to London to do it. They redid, uh, came through his surgeries, his healing, and within a year, he was right back in there again. The commitment level that they've taken, that they've given their lives. Listen, these are people that I know. These are people I graduated high school, and they have decided not only to live their life for the gospel, they have decided to give their lives for the gospel. Their commitment level is really high. Following Jesus, and we put this in your notes, and this is where we're starting today. Following Jesus is not easy or safe. Salvation requires a decision. But following Jesus requires a commitment. It's not just a decision that we make and we've got our fire insurance and we're good. It's a commitment that we're making. As Americans, we're committed to lots of things. We're committed to support our alma maters. We're committed to make our lives easy for ourselves and for our children. We're we're committed to give our best at work. We're committed to our leisure time and... um, making things as easy in life as possible. But here's the crazy thing. God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not your comfort, but it's your character development. He wants you to grow up spiritually and become like Christ. In our Western Christianity, we've said, um, I'm sorry, we've been led to believe that following Jesus uh, leads to some type of um, easy life. It's trouble-free and prosperity. And that is just not the case Because Jesus calls his disciples to take up their cross and to follow him. And he addresses this level of commitment in the text that we're going to look at today. And he does it with some pretty controversial statements. So this morning, we want to look at, we want to look at, we want to look at Luke. 
say that three times. Um, we want to look at the book of Luke, chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading there in verse 25. You're welcome to follow along in your new app if you want. Um, it says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What did he just say? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and he just wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long ways off and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is using shocking statements, what they call juxtaposing, kind of opposing type common wisdom and truths that seem to be uh, incongruous with each other. They don't seem to make sense with each other. Jesus is doing this so that his listeners will pause. They'll say, wait a minute, what did he say? And they'll think. He's challenging us. He's challenging them. He's calling us to a deeper level of commitment. Because he said this crazy thing, anyone who doesn't hate their family and even their own life can't be his disciple. You don't hear that preached a lot. That's not your common text, right? You don't hear John 3:16 and uh, Luke 14:26 said together a lot. But Jesus said it. In your notes, there's a quote by a guy named Daryl Bach. And he says this, The meaning of hate, talking about this verse, carries a comparative force here. The idea is not that we should hate our family or lives, but that in comparison to Jesus, if we are forced to choose, the winner in that choice would be Jesus. See, Christ is pushing us not just to a decision, but to a commitment. At this time, in the Gospels, we know that Jesus had over 70 disciples. But it's interesting that even with 70 disciples and the the fact that there were times when thousands of people showed up to hear him, Jesus still is not interested in, in attracting crowds. Rather, his interest was in making disciples. And he consistently called his followers to greater levels of commitment, just like he did here. So in this passage, Jesus is making statements that's going to force people, people in 30 A.D. and people in 2017 A.D., to really consider their commitment and their commitment to follow him. So let's look closely at what he said, and let's... Look at what it means. The first thing, to follow Jesus, we need to first count the cost. That's the first thing. We need to count the cost. 
In verse 28, it says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And then jumping to verse 31, he says, Or if you're a king and you're going to go to war with another king, won't you first sit down and consider whether you're able with 10,000 men to oppose the force that's coming against him? It's 21st century comfortable Americans, leisurely Westerners. We don't often really get the concept of what he's saying here. For all of us, to become his disciple means we give our lives to his will and his purposes. And it may cost us. It, it may. See, we put this in your notes. Salvation is free and it's available through God's grace, but following Jesus will cost you everything. It could cost you your name. It could cost you your reputation. It will certainly cost you some time and some resources. For some... It might cost you relationships, even family. And that's the second thing this morning. See, the second thing in this passage of Scripture is saying that we have to give Jesus first priority. In verse 26, this, in verse 26 he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. See, we don't get this because we don't get it as Westerners. See, in a Jewish home, to follow Christ meant that you were walking away from Judaism. In a Muslim home meant that you're walking away from Islam. See, devout Jews would think that family members who were walking towards Christianity, that you're walking away from uh, Jehovah is what they thought. See, to walk towards Jesus to a devout Jew meant you're walking away from Jehovah. It's not the case, but that's what they thought. That's what they believed. In Muslim homes, you could be beaten, tortured. Death is acceptable, and it's still acceptable today. When Jesus says this to his disciples, he says, You have to be willing to make a commitment that's far above anything else. And you have to make it so that it's first priority and you're willing to sacrifice according to the cost. See, the concept is this, is that God is a jealous God. And he wants nothing else to stand between you and I and in the way of our complete and unwavering devotion to him. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. See, this verse, these verses are not about people deserting their family. It's not even about religion. It's about you and I embracing God as our first priority in life. That's what he's trying to get across. He's talking about commitment that goes beyond the casual, well, we came to church today kind of thing. It's the reality that we're making a a true commitment for every area of our lives. Our third point this morning is this. Jesus says in verse 27 that we have to embrace a process. He says it this way, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, his process is is the process of discipleship and What he was saying was, it looks a lot like carrying a cross. It looks a lot like dying to self and choosing 
to live something that's more than a, it's all about me. I'm going to tell you, in America today, we're really good at it. it's all about me. Sometimes we don't even know it. I'm really good at it, and it shocks me at times how good I am as it's all about me. I'm thankful sometimes that my wife helps me see it. <laughs> but the reality is, is it's easy for me to be all about me. Um, and not to think about embracing a process that would be dying to self, that would be choosing a way that's higher and better. So Jesus isn't saying that you and I have to go get a literal cross and, and carry it and die on it. He's saying that we have to go through this process of subjecting our flesh. We call it crucifying our flesh. We have to subject our own wills to the degree that we embrace his fully. That's the commitment that he's talking about. A commitment to follow God. A commitment to follow it in the way of Christ. And that we do it and by making it first priority to draw close to God. We're called to take our cross daily and follow Jesus, which speaks of this ongoing process of spiritual transformation in our lives. See, this daily process, it includes things like choosing to follow Jesus. That's the beginning. But in, it involves dying to ourselves it involves living our lives the way that Jesus lived his. And it even to the embracing of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we become more and more like him. The word says that when Jesus said that when the comforter being the Holy Spirit would come, that he would guide us into all truth. He would be the one who would help us in our process of learning what it means to live as Christ. Jesus wasn't saying that his disciples should hate themselves or their families. He was pushing them. He was pushing us to consider our commitment levels. This morning I want to close, and I want to close by the last thing that's in your notes. It's Luke 14:33. It's from our text this morning, but it's in the message version, and I think it sums it up really well. In fact, when we were working together as pastors and talking about this topic and this sermon and this text uh, we had this in another place and we all realized no this is this is it in a nutshell this is it summed up and so I want to read it to you and it's, it says this in the message version simply put if you're not willing to take what's dearest to you whether plans or people and kiss it goodbye you can't be my disciple Jesus is saying that he has to be first priority that our commitment to following him and our commitment to loving the Lord our God with all our hearts and with all our minds has to be our first priority and he's saying it in a way that brought controversy it brought confusion to some it angered some but the reality is is he's trying to call his disciples in 30 AD and in 2017 to a deep and personal level of commitment that is not religion my gosh we have so messed this thing up in the last 2,000 years that we think it's all about religion and it's not it's a commitment 
to a savior. It's a commitment to a relationship. It's a commitment to a God who wants to transform our lives. It's a commitment to a God who's already said, yes, you botched it up once in the garden, but I've got a plan. And I've got a plan to change your life. I've got a plan to restore our relationship. And you've got to make, we've got to make a commitment to that. We can't just simply pray some prayer in the church on one Sunday and think, well, I got my my tickets on the train to hell, I mean to heaven, and I don't have to worry about hell. I've got my little fire insurance thing. Jesus was not about the commitment. I mean about the the uh, the decision. He was about the commitment. And he was calling his disciples who had made decisions. They were following him. He was calling them to not just follow and be around and be there, but to truly commit who they were to the totality of being his disciples, of being a child of the living God. And he did it through a pretty radical statement in his day and one that still challenges us now. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? for a moment because I've said a lot this morning but I got to tell you the most important thing I hope you heard today was not me I hope somewhere in here for some of you you heard the Holy Spirit say something to you this morning if you're in this place and you realize I've been living my life based on a decision and not an all-in commitment but I want to I want to rectify that today it's really simple if that's you I just want to pray for you if that's you would you let me know who I'm praying for would you just raise your hand for some of you you can put your hands down for some of you you realize that today that something else I said has made you think I just want to pray for you as well if that's you would you just raise your hand and let me know who I'm praying for thank you let's pray Father, this morning, I thank you for these, God, who have been uh, Lord, they've been challenged by your words. Lord, not my words, but your words. And so, Lord, for those of us who raised our hands and said, I've been living my life based on a decision, but not based on a all-out commitment. God, for those, Lord, I thank you that they've come to that realization today. God, they're making the choice to go all in. And Lord, for those who, Lord, in the midst of this sermon, they heard your voice say something to them about some other area of life. God, I thank you for that. And I pray that you would 
speak to them. Lord, and they'd have the courage to walk that out. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you're in this room and that you're the one who speaks to hearts. God, today I pray that each of us, as we leave here today, that we would do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, experiencing your favor and your might, and that we would do so as your sons and daughters, fully transformed by the gospel and fully committed to who you are and to following you at all costs. Lord, today I bless these, your people, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.